Welcome to the Native Souls. I'm obviously not Diz. He's sick. He can't be here. And he's going to hate himself for missing this month's episode of the Native Souls podcast because not only is it our second time using our Native Souls podcast studio, but I've got Sherman here in the house tonight, and I've got a special guest who I am so excited to have on the podcast tonight. Uh, but before before we introduce this month's guest, Sherman, how you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. Yeah, have you had a good month? I have. I turned 30 over the last month, so... Oh, yeah, you and Diz had your birthdays like three days apart. Yeah. yeah. And, like, y'all were wearing me out with your bromance <laughs> on Facebook. Hey, we let everybody know. Yeah. We usually have a big weekend, you know, we go out and party it up, but he's in Illinois now, so we didn't get to have our weekend. Wow. Well, enough of, of that stuff that, <laughs> you know, not that there's anything wrong with it or anything, to quote Seinfeld, but it is now my absolute pleasure to welcome to the Native Souls, none other than the Rod Justice. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, boys. I'm doing great. I'm glad to be on here, man. I'm excited. Yeah, Rod was like our first like celebrity listener. How does it feel to be called a celebrity listener, Rod? I don't, I don't know what that means, really. You were the first person important that was like, hey, I was yeah. listening to you, boys. You sound good. Yeah, it was really good. I'm, I, was so, I was so impressed because I thought when I first... Uh, the first month I caught on to you listening, you putting it out, I thought, man, that's really well done. I was blown away. So there you go. That's awesome. We <laughs> felt like we made it when we found out that you'd listen. Uh, you cracked we... me up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's... Sometimes you don't mean to, Sherman, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just say what's on my mind, and sometimes people don't like it. <laughs> but I mean... It's so funny because, you know, they talk about Rod Justice. Uh, how many years have you been in youth ministry now? I don't know, forever. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I hear. I'd love to hear it as a quantified number. But one thing that I didn't know that, I, uh, that I've just recently learned is that you did it for a number of years, volunteer, before you were... Uh, on staff. Yeah, yeah. I started out at uh, another church, and I did it for there for about two or three years, and then I came here for seven. So I was here a volunteer for seven years. Wow. Before I, before they started paying me. Uh, so. Seven years. Maybe one of these days they'll figure me out and they'll quit paying me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but it's funny though because uh, that's the new trend in uh, in I guess ministry now is uh, they will tell you. Don't pay your youth pastor. Yeah. Make him be bivocational. So, listen, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that too loudly. I was that way for a long time. You'll be out there driving coal trucks again. <laughs> <laughs> I did it for a long time, it, and it's uh, it's really I'm really blessed that God's allowed me to to get paid to to do ministry. It's really cool. Yeah, definitely. One thing I, I was thinking earlier when we were talking about doing this podcast was that you know you've done youth ministry for so long and a lot of times people get into youth ministry or you know different areas of ministry to get to another place of ministry you know it's more like a stepping stone so it's awesome to look and see that you've just kept with it because that apparently that's been your calling so yeah i've walked in this calling for a long time and and i've I've could i've tried to do it 
with excellence. Excellence doesn't mean that I'm the best because mm-hmm. I'm certainly not, but I do it as good as I can do it. Uh, and that's what I try to do all the time, just continue to work on what we're doing and continue to get better and better every year uh, and learn. And I'm still learning. I'm, I learn from guys who just started out. Uh, they have brand-new, fresh ideas, and they keep me fresh and keep me relevant, or try to. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you've had to change with the times because um, as a kid, I went to um, kids' camp. Uh, I want to say it was Virgil Tate. Is that the one that was, like, really flat? Yeah, yeah. And I will never forget the guy with thick black hair, and I don't know what he had under his nose. But, I mean, you could have you could stuffed the stuff there and got it through border check. But he would have a surf on the chairs. Yeah. And if you didn't, he would throw a bucket of water on you. Oh, no, I had these fire extinguishers. Yeah. Five-gallon fire extinguishers, and you got wet. So it was like, it was a fun time. Yeah, I was I was one of those kids that... Uh, I looked like an Iranian doing uh, <laughs> <laughs> doing fun time. Oh, god. Yes, you must get up on the chair. <laughs> we burn you at the stake. Or <laughs> I just knew, I like, I hadn't really come into my personality then. I didn't really know anybody. I was the only kid from Princeton to go to camp that year. And I was just like, I don't want to go. I, I want All I want to do is go home. Yeah. And I couldn't sleep at night. Like, it was like, and I was just like, he's going to hit me with this ex- extinguisher. <laughs> and number one, it's probably going to, like, blow my eyes out of my head because it, it just looked like it was, like, you know, coming straight out of the back of a fire truck. Yeah. I mean, that was like seven-year-old me, though, so. You do that now, though, and parents are called. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, but. They, they probably would have been called back then, but we didn't have cell phones. Yeah, this, <laughs> that's true. That's true. The only cell phones were, like, plugged into the cars. Yeah. <laughs> you had to look like you're calling in an airstrike. Yes. Those were the days. I remember my parents had one of those phones. <laughs> but, Rod, has you have been a mainstay mm-hmm. of ministry in my life since I was a kid. And so um, you were an inspiration to me when I was in Princeton. And now to get to count myself as part of your family is an absolute honor. And to uh, to get to watch how the beast works from within has been an adventure in itself. Yeah, well, probably not as exciting when you get up close and personal. But <laughs> yeah, it's just like anything. You don't no. want to. You don't want to know what goes into the sausage. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're honored. We're honored that you're part of it, man. We're honored part of our family because that's. But what we build our ministry on is uh, is just that concept of family, and uh, and the people that come through, they're part of our family and they stay part of our family. And we have people who go on and move on to different places in ministry, and they continue to be part of our family. And so, like you, you were just with us at Winterfest, and I had six youth ministries that were represented that had youth pastors that came through here that did that did uh, Winterfest this year, and so. Uh, that two of them stayed with us. The third one was supposed to eat with us because they come back. They're part of the family. They just come back and, and don't want to leave. So that's why we, we want to That's what I, I was thinking about that, that week, this week, and I was like, I guess the mark of of actually transitioning into ministry is not I'm, I'm running my own trip, but I'm just going to piggyback off of my old youth pastor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here, you eat all the cost for my people. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. So, but... Um, with that, uh, we're just really excited to have you, and we're excited to share some coffee with you. Yeah. Um, and we've had a time getting everything set up and going, so it's almost 9.30 at night, 
and we're going to drink some coffee. So, uh, Becky, we apologize for caffeinating your husband up and then sending him home. Um, <laughs> but, Ron, I think you've listened enough to know that when we take this, we all take a loud sip oh, together. Yeah, I'm waiting for it. And then we are going to explore this coffee together. So, gentlemen, here's to another awesome month. That is really good. That's good coffee. I mean, I I didn't know what to expect because for the longest time we did nothing but bones. Mm-hmm. Um, but today I went, I was going to get Old Village, but we've featured Old Village on here, I think twice now, maybe three times. And there is a place here in Huntington called Grindstone Coffeeology. It's mainly an espresso place, and so uh, if you are in the Huntington area and you love espresso, I would suggest stopping by there off of 8th Avenue. Um, so since I'm not from here, I can get the avenues, but where streets are and intersections. Um, maybe it's like 10th Street, uh, 8th Avenue and 10th Street. Um, they're over there by the UPS store. Go get you a double shot of espresso. You'll thank me when you're riding a unicorn to work. Express the UPS stores at, at, at on on Eighth Street, off Eighth Street. So. Okay, so that's they're over there, over yeah. near there. Um, it's my my favorite part of this uh, episode is listening to you all drink coffee. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but they sell whole bean coffee, and I was like, well, maybe he roasts his own coffee, because the gentleman's from, I want to say he's from Australia. And so he has a truck, and he sits off of uh, on Hal Greer, Hal Greer Boulevard, off Old Main at Marshall. It's right across from where I get my haircut. So mm-hmm. I'll run in there to get my haircut. I'll get a double shot, and go wait for my bar- for the chair to open. Uh, but so Jess was in there today, and she was talking to him. And this is Daily Offerings Coffee, and um, and it's so cool because they have a they're a Christian company or they have Christian roots. And uh, it's a husband and wife that run it. And the husband is from Africa. And they were visiting family back in Africa. And they what they loved about coffee turned into a passion that fueled them to come back here and turn it into this business. So they are, they are out of Lexington, Kentucky, which um, that is the one cool thing about Huntington is you are an hour to two hours from some major cities here. Yeah. I mean, Lexington, Kentucky, three hours to Louisville, Kentucky, to Louisville. Two, two and a half to the ballpark at Cincinnati, man. There you go. Rod Justice, big Reds fan. That's right. <laughs> Our condolences. Is there any other team? I, I didn't know there was another team. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, do you have a baseball team? The Cubs. Oh, wow. We'll, we'll pray for you. <laughs> yeah. When, how long? Two years? Uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's actually not been very long. I decided that I was just going to go with all Chicago teams. So football is the Bears, you know, the Bulls for basketball. But I don't really get into basketball. I can respect that. So. That's that's the way I am. Uh, and I picked it up from a former youth pastor at Princeton who is now uh, living in Virginia Beach, uh, Mickey Weichel. Yeah, Mickey's awesome. And uh, Mickey loves every team out of Houston. He loves the Astros. And he was like, well, whatever. I'll just pick up every team in Houston. So uh, growing up, I loved Barry Sanders. So I was a Lions fan. Yeah. And when I met Mickey, I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to pick all my teams from 
from Detroit, and it it helped me at that time that uh, the Pistons. That's when they had Rip Hamilton, Chauncey Billups, and all them, and the Pistons had just won uh, the national title or the NBA championship or the finals, and um, and so and then the the Red Wings are what they are. They, yeah. which I mean, they've not done great in hockey the past few years, but and then the Tigers, they what how was early 2000s they won a world series yeah they had a good string there for a while yeah so all things but i'm really the only team that i will sit down and watch uh is are the lions um i'm not i love to watch baseball at the park but not on television <coughs> that's I, my I struggle that's my thing I'm i not, can only i can only handle so many pop flies before i'm like all right let's watch something else i know i'm i'm like baseball addict man it's just like in my blood. Yeah, I, I think if I would understand the science behind it, because um, there's a science to how they run their pitchers and who's up, who's who's who has the potential of coming in, and so I think that's the side of it that I've never understood. But I lost my love for baseball when I watched my older brother take a line drive to the face. Oh yeah, and I was like, I'm out, boys. <laughs> <laughs> no, says I. <laughs> No, the more you the more you know about baseball, the more there is to love. Mm-hmm. It's just there's so much history and so much you know pageantry about it, and uh, it's just so in, in, uh, intricate as of a sport, you know. Mm-hmm. Where football's, I, I mean, I love football too, but football is what it is. I mean, and you watch a two-hour game in football if you're really watching 20 minutes of plays. Baseball, there's a, there's intrigue on every pitch. Yeah. Uh, and they're setting a pitch up. They're setting something up later in the game. Uh, there's something being set up all the time. You know, we talk about baseball a lot. And so how did you become a Reds fan? Is that a family thing? Yeah. Yeah, I grew up listening to uh, Wade Hoyt and, you know, uh, you know, broadcast the Reds games. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, so, I have no clue who that uh, is. <laughs> uh, he was a Hall of Famer. Gotcha. And I, when I was a little kid, uh, one of the one – of the guy that's got a record in baseball, which we're going to just delve off in for a minute in baseball. Joe Nuxall came up in the in the World War II, a 15-year-old left-hander, and pitched in baseball, Major League Baseball, as a 15-year-old. Okay, that's so, nuts. Um, and that'll never be broken. I mean, I can't ever see anybody younger than 15 breaking that record. When I started going to baseball games, one of the early games I went to, Nuxall was still pitching, um, and that was in the 60s, and I saw Nuxall pitch. Um, and he, and you know, he just was a pedestrian player, but he just played for so long. Uh, but then he became a broadcaster, and for for the Reds for years. So it was like I grew up listening to Joe Nuxall and Marty Brenneman and uh, uh, Tom. Uh, I can't think of the guy's name right now. Did Miracle on Ice? Um, the guy that made the call on Miracle on Ice, he used to be the Reds broadcast. Oh, yeah, and Jerry, Tom and Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Al Michaels. Oh. <laughs> I'll get it right in a minute. Uh, but I mean, the thing is, is like you're talking about like we're taking a diversion, but your love for baseball wasn't something, it's not something that like comes out as much as, like as, as much knowledge as you have for baseball. Spending a week with you, one to two weeks with you every summer at camp, I had no clue how much you loved baseball. Yeah. Like, I knew you loved Jesus, but, I mean, if we're going to just, like, for the sake of the podcast, I'll say Becky's second, but I don't believe it. Yeah. Because <laughs> baseball's <laughs> up there. <laughs> no, 
Baseball's behind Becky. Becky, <laughs> Becky likes, you have to say that. No, no, no. Be- <laughs> Becky likes baseball, which makes it good. Okay. Now she doesn't like watching on TV, but she loves. If I say, if I say tomorrow, let's go to the game. She's like, let's go. I believe. And then it. she'd say, I want the good tickets. Now, what is a good ticket <laughs> for her? She likes the all-you-can-eat tickets, man. So, um, I, so I'd never heard of that until Israel had gotten married and lived outside of Pittsburgh. Oh, and he yeah. was like, you need to come up. We're going to go to a Pirates game. We'll sit in the all-you-can-eat seats. And I was like, can we get there early? Because, <laughs> like, I mean, I've we, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And so, like, we were the people that would vacation at a friend's house in Charlotte yeah. and go spend the day at Carowinds and then have to come out of the park to eat, like, sandwiches in the parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I'm watching these people just eat this awesome food. So, like, this, I have this goal of mine that my wife does not like that I want to see how many corn dogs I can eat in one sitting. <laughs> you know, we've already seen how many ALH you can eat, right? Drink, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was, it, was 108, was it? it was Yeah, it was about 100, so it might have been more. But, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know <laughs> how far that had gone. <laughs> because, I mean, we met Graham after the fact, and then this weekend, Jeff Mink's like, you know Graham Simpson? And then that story comes up, and I was like, I should probably consider never putting an application for a church, <laughs> applying for a church in the state of Kentucky. <laughs> no, dude, everybody would know you, you know. A co- major accomplishments, once drank 100 LA to the setting, you know, like, okay, dude, that's the guy. That's the guy. Yeah, and then they're like, there's the story behind the story. So it's like, did you really urinate on yourself? Then <laughs> what do I say in that moment? Absolutely. <laughs> I've completely missed this story, but it sounds, it sounds pretty epic. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, let's just say B. Staten. Uh, had a little girl in the in the canteen that was sweet on him, and so she would just uh, like just like hey we were ready for some lights and it I don't know what happened like they just kept coming, and I would just keep drinking, and by the end of the week, we had, um, it was like a shelf that ran probably like six to eight feet, and you couldn't fit another another bottle of L8 on it. <laughs> but it was my first time in Kentucky. I'd never had L8 before then. And so um, J.B. Hurt, has, uh, who was the, he was student pastor at the time. Um, he was preaching. And so, or, or actually, no. Um, um, what is his name? I can't remember. He's out, he's in Georgia now. He ran Amplify for the longest time. Um he won't listen to this, so he'll never hear how I forgot his name. But he was preaching. He asked us to come play. Dwayne Morey? Uh-uh. No, the guy before him, right? Yeah. I want to say it's Brian something. Yeah, it's Brian. Um, awesome guy. Um, but So he had us come play worship for him. Like He requested to Brian Yawn, who was the state youth director there. Uh, he requested that we could come play. And so we were doing that. And... By the end of the week, I had, there was a hundred there the night before. I had drank 40, like from the end of service to when we went to bed. And that was the night that I had my accident. (laughs) (laughs) So now that we've divulged that. For all our listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's, 
you know what? We're just going to jump right into it. So tonight we want to jump into our topic, which is uh, the anointing and um, walking in the anointing, what that means. Um, and Diz, actually, he had some good questions um, to go with it. So, um, But Sherman, when, when someone talks about like they were walking in the anointing or uh, when you think about the anointing, um, what does that mean to you as it as it uh, as I guess it happens to us today? Because you know a lot of people you can say the anointing and you think about they anointed Aaron and the oil ran through his beard, mm-hmm. and and um, I don't know if this is not religious or you know sacrilegious to say, but people who use a whole lot of oil when they pray for people stop because once you get it in your eyes, <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> Like, I want to burn from the inside, not from the inside of my eyes. <laughs> and it was like for two hours when I when it, like it, I couldn't get it out of my eyes. Yeah. The worst thing growing up was, you know, I was in a church that they'd literally just douse you with oil and it'd be all over your clothes. All, I mean, and I'd, go, I'd leave and I'd be like, what was the reasoning for that? You know, yeah. like, <laughs> but you'd just be drenched in oil. So I think that's why the church had to take a hard stance against smoking because if you were in that and you lit up a cigarette, <laughs> you're going right up with it. Yeah, it wasn't for like sanctification reasons. It was just it's like safety. <laughs> we care about you and not because you'll get cancer. You will set on fire. You will be a tiki torch. A Holy Ghost tiki torch. So, um, but I found the question. So if we're going to make operating in the anointing the main topic, uh, let's look into what does it mean to seek the anointing, the devotion required to keep the anointing, and what does it look like to be under the anointing, and can we see when we, like, how do we see people, because we see it, you know, once you've walked in the anointing, you know, how can you distinguish someone who's not in the anointing? And I guess that's more along the lines of... uh, of forcing it. And so we, that was the first topic that came to mind when we were like, Rod's going to be on the podcast because, um, having done uh, worship for you at middle school camp, uh, two years ago and just growing up hearing you preach at camp, I can't think of anyone who I've seen, uh, operate in the anointing. And it's so clear and evident that you're in the anointing. Uh, more than you, so we. It's awesome to have you weighing in on this. So, mm-hmm. um, why don't you start with just telling us, what, like, what does the anointing mean to you? Well, you know, that's an interesting topic, and, and especially, you know, from our background, we come from a Pentecostal background, we, and we we understand that term. You use that term outside of Pentecostal circles, and they they even want to know what that means. Mm-hmm. You know, what does that mean? And what we're talking about, we're talking about the anointing. And when you talk about the anointing, what it really is is it, the anointing breaks the yoke of bondage, mm-hmm. okay? And so we're really not operating in our anointing. We're operating in Christ, which is Second Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 21. Basically, it says we're anointed with his anointing, all right? Yeah. And so what was his anointing? Well, his anointing is, and I'm quoting off the top of my head, but Isaiah 61 and, and I think it's Luke 4. Uh, where it's both places, and it says, you know, I came, uh, you know, to, to set the captives free. I, I came to, you know, 
uh, release the oppressed. I came to, uh, uh, you know, preach the good news, and the, this is the acceptable year of the Lord. And so that's, that is what the anointing really is, is when we're operating in that thing, then we're seeing people released. And so a real simple answer is you know they're in the anointing by the fruits of, of their sermon. And a lot of times people try to work stuff up, but they're not being obedient to God. And mm-hmm. so and the, the ultimate thing about anointing is walking in obedience. Uh, you know, it's not about how I look. It's not about how, what I say. It's about walking in that obedience because, you know, Christ did some hard things and people were set free, delivered, and healed, okay? And so being in that anointing means being in that in place of obedience. You know, the term we were talking about at, at dinner tonight, Sherman, we were talking about sanctification. is something we don't talk about very much anymore. Mm-hmm. And sanctification is that instant act of grace that enables a continual act of the Holy Spirit. That's my grandmother's interpretation, my grandmother's definition for that. And so, but it, it, it's when we walk in that, we walk in that obedience, we're walking in that thing where we say, uh, you know, I, I'm walking in this instant act of grace that I'm releasing the, the, the anointing of God. And we know that because the the blind are being sight's being restored to them spiritually. You know, I mean, I'm, I believe physical healing as well, but I know spiritual healing is is is, is, is a very important thing because we have a lot of people that are blind to the gospel because the enemy. That's what he does is he blinds us to the gospel, and so when we restore sight to the blind, one of the things that we're doing is allowing them to be able to see their blindness, to see where they're at, to see their their depravity. And that's one of the thing. One of the things the anointing does is it releases people from their captivity. That's good. One of the things when I when I think about anointing is just <clears throat> the boldness that you get, you know, mm-hmm. and the walking in that boldness, walking in that authority, um, you know. And I've when I've been preaching and when I've been you know doing ministry, I mean, there's a there's a boldness and there's an authority when I'm walking in that anointing that I don't have every. Every day, every hour of every right. day, you know. So that's what I think about when I think of anointing. Um, and when you have somebody who's, you know, walking in that boldness and walking in that authority, like you said, those chains will break, the bondage will break off of them. So. But that's a that's the the evidence of the Holy Spirit. You know, to me, the number one thing in the Holy Spirit, which the Church of God says, you know, it's tongues or initial. Mm-hmm. But I think the initial evidence is boldness. I think that's boldness. I think that. That's the first mark of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's I, funny that you bring that up because I was just having a conversation earlier this week with another pastor, talking about what we thought the initial evidence of the Holy Spirit was, and you know, we both were like, we don't know if that speaking in tongues is the initial evidence. So that's well, I feel like bring a lot up. of the times, um, a lot of people want to differ- differentiate between the two things of when I receive Christ, uh, when I receive salvation. Uh, the Comforter gives me the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then to activate, I guess, uh, the Holy Spirit to operate through me in a more powerful way than I seek the baptism. And and then that differentiates. And there is that boldness that comes because Mm -hmm. um, it gives us a deeper understanding of the Holy Spirit. And so when I was just indwelled, then... Maybe I was I could think that maybe that was me that thought, go pray for that person. Right. When I'm baptized, I have no doubt because I know his voice. Right. Yep. And so And that's uh, that's part of that anointing that we're talking about. I mean, and that is the Holy Spirit that is actually the anointer 
you know, because Jesus, you know, Jesus, we, we're baptized in the Holy Ghost by Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's his gift to us. Uh, and so it's, it's what releases us and sets us in that path. And when you walk in that anointing uh, that we're talking about, people are set free. Yeah. I mean, they are set free. And, you know, and you just you see chains ball. And, and you know it whether you, you don't have to physically see it. But you know it because where you're, what you're doing is you're in that place where uh, you can feel the Spirit move through you, and you're walking in that place of obedience to Him. And it's, and it's, you know, I think the part that we miss the most when we talk about this is that obviously um, we will confuse the power that it comes through for the person and not through the creator of the power. So Mm -hmm. uh, I think I read it recently. uh, We end up worshiping the created and not the creator. And so, um, and it's like we want to use, whether it be gifts of healing or uh, deliverance or anything like that, we want to use that to uh, subjugate the Father's will when, when you're truly walking in that anointing, His heart's the most important thing. That's right. But, when it's all about us, then we're missing the mark and something. So that's when, when we, when we have failures. And, and for me, God taught me that lesson early, um, you know, following on a winter fest and we had this just awesome move of God in the youth group. And it was the first time I ever prayed someone and they fell under the power of the Holy ghost mm-hmm. and not having anyone at that moment to come beside of me and explain to me what was going on. Quickly, I thought that that was me doing that. Right. And then I had to go through that hard season of, like, you would pray for people and nothing would happen. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, okay, heart check moment. It's like, (laughs) you know, I was making it all about me, and it's like, okay, well, once you get in God's way, you know, it changes how he operates. Well, he won't be second to anybody. Yeah. Okay. And so and you're right. That's that's the temptation, and and that's where we fail as ministers. Uh, and and people they they follow people instead of following God, mm-hmm. okay. And so my job is to point people at at Christ. And so uh, I, I must decrease all the time so that He may must increase. And then that's that's true anointing when when you, because where I'm weak, that's where He's strong. And that's you know. And when you walk in that, like it's not me. Uh, and you, I know you've heard me say this and. Everybody, anybody been around me, they'll say, "Well, that was really good." And I say, "If it was good, it was God, and if it was bad, it was rod." Mm-hmm. And and because uh, what he does is good, and he takes all credit, he gets all credit, he gets all glory. Because every time I've ever thought that it was something I did, it was awful. Okay, and, and the result was awful. Uh, the result wasn't, you know, wasn't pure. And the result wasn't, you know, holy. Uh, and it was, you know, most of the time it was making myself an idol in my own heart and mm-hmm. thinking that I'm somebody special. Um, and, you know, God has a way of keeping me humble. And I, I stay in youth ministry and just keep mopping the floors, you know, <laughs> carrying the chairs. So, hallelujah. I mean, but if we ever lose the heart of a servant, we've lost the heart of ministry. Right. Yeah. Um, one of my first Easter with Jess, she kind of learned that lesson because um, it was our service to, you know, we were at, we were at Lifeline Princeton. They have the 9 and the 11. So um, we both served in the 9 a.m. And then we were going to sit in the 11 and relax. And toilet messed up. And I, wasn't, I was the only one not on stage, not serving at some capacity at that point. So it was like, 
you know that's your uh tagging moment right um and so she, she said to me when i got back she said i had to text mom and say this is what easter's gonna or this is what my life's gonna look like as a pastor's wife because it's our service to sit together and here i sit holding his shirt and his phone and he's got he's elbow deep in a toilet in the women's restroom no. right now <laughs> And it's, but I mean, that was the thing is, um, you know, if you, that's how, that's how people will evaluate pastors a lot of time too, is how do they work physically? Mm -hmm. And I've seen people not like pastors because they weren't known, you know, to sweat from the brow. Right. And, uh, and I've seen them love them because, you know, they could, they were handy and they were, and I don't know if that's just them thinking, you know, we're saving some money by hiring uh, this guy's a great pastor and a, a great handyman right. or maintenance guy. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of things there. and um, but you I, know. I think we ought to be servants, um, but at the same time, I think we ought to be wise. Uh, mm-hmm. And a lot of times we try to work, and, you know, we were talking about books, and one of the, one of the books I'm reading right now uh, is about lies the enemy tells us. And one of the things, that, it was about pastors, about we've got to work ourselves to death. Because the more we work ourselves to death, the more God loves us. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a lie. It is. Mm-hmm. Okay? I can't do anything to gain more love of God. He loves me unconditionally uh, the way I am. At the same time, I feel like I've got to, I've got to earn that. Mm-hmm. And, that. And we feel like that a lot of times. We yeah. feel like that. And that, that's a lie that I deal with, that I need to work myself to death for God to love me more. When then I get sick... And I know that God wasn't in that because I wouldn't be sick. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I'm sick is because I've worked myself to, to exhaustion. Uh, and that's, that's not what God wants. God expects, and you know this, and both of you know this, uh, and it's the thing that says, uh, you know, we're supposed to equip saints for ministry. Mm-hmm. We're not supposed to be doing all the ministry, okay? And, you know, my job as a pastor is to be praying to set myself so that I've got a message that brings the anointing. Okay, that I that I that I can follow in obedience to God, and I'm not so busy plumbing a sink, and I do that, and I I don't mind doing that. I I love helping the church. I love helping the body of Christ. Specifically, you love plumbing. Uh, you know a lot about plumbing. Well, I've had to do a lot. <laughs> and like me and Kyle were working on the plumbing at my rental house, and and he was finally like, "We need to call Rod." <laughs> the next thing I know, like I've learned about four different kinds of pipes that they could possibly use to run down a, a bathroom drain. And yeah. <laughs> I was like, what does this guy not know? Well, <laughs> you know I'm just old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, you really bring up a good point, and it's something that I've always wondered. And uh, I guess I will I will use one of your kind of your things that I've heard you say time and time again of, you know, I don't know this and I'm I'm wanting some guidance on it and uh but I've seen a lot of times and specifically in ministry you know we've talked about the anointing and then there's specific anointings Mm -hmm. and um and so nobody can walk in your specific anointing like you and so you know for instance let's take um impact students here at Jefferson Avenue um you you are gracious to open your pulpit to your young ministers and to your people who are coming up. And I think a lot of people appreciate that. But um, as someone who's a minister, I've always noticed that people who open their pulpit 
the people in the chairs never respond the same as the person that 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 I feel is anointed for that pulpit. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though it's a good thing to um, open our pulpits and to let other people, you know, voices be heard, you know, what do we do? Do we are we robbing our people of no, of no. something? No. Here's the deal. Two 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 things about it. One is let's go to the baseball analogy, okay? The best the best pitchers, they have a fastball and a pitch, okay? And usually the ones that are Mariano Rivera, pitched for the Yankees, Hall of Fame closer, probably the greatest closer of all time. He basically he had a fastball and a cut fastball and a changeup, and that's all he threw was a fastball, a cut fastball, and a changeup. Really two pitches. Uh, because the fastball, depending on where you're holding the fastball, is what it's going to do. So four-seam or two-seam fastball and a, and a change-up. The change-up is a change of pace, and it gets the batter off his mark. What happens is in my service, and when I found this out, it doesn't matter how I'm, I try to vary my style, how I try to vary my delivery, I am who I am. And so what happens is when I let one of these other guys, it helps them. Okay, it builds the body of Christ because I'm training them to be a youth pastor or to speak to young people. Uh, at the same time, it gives my people a change of pace, and and uh, you know I can go through the list of the litany of people who've spoken my pulpit over the years, and uh, they may say exactly what I said the week before, but they'll say it a different way. And some mm-hmm. kid, uh, there's an old song Brian Duncan sang this song years ago, and it said every every heart has an open door. It's up to me to find the key. And so what happens is sometimes that's the key is just a different change of pace to get to those kids. And so, yeah, the whole group doesn't or the room doesn't respond because I kind of command a room. Uh, that's that's an anointing God's gave me, and I kind of command them in a room in youth ministry, and especially this room. Um, but the other guys, that's part of their learned experience. They, they learn to command that room. And so I give them that opportunity, and, and it's, it's built other youth ministries. That's what, that's what I'm trying to do. I want to build the kingdom, not, not this castle. Now, awesome. now I, and, and, I, and I completely understand, but have you ever had a guy come up or, I mean, you know, or even a lady who you felt could command the room just as good as you? Yeah, yeah. I, but it takes that's, – that's part of – it's part of having confidence. It's part of growing up. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of times my being in the room intimidates them because they're trying to perform for me instead of to perform for the God of the creation who, who's gave them this opportunity, really, because it's not me. It's not my room. It's Jesus's, okay? Yeah. And so once they get to the point where they're comfortable with me, where they can be comfortable in front of me and they're not trying to perform for me, you know, they're not looking for my approval. They're looking for God's. Then they get to that point. And I've had guys who have done that over year over the years, and and they got to that point, uh, and they didn't start out there, but they ended there. Um, and so, like Matt Hutchinson, you know, he he commanded a room. I mean, and Matt pretty much he learned that really quickly. Uh, it took a couple times to speak, and then after that, Matt commanded the room. The last couple times, Matt he commanded the room as well as I do. Kyle, I'm sure you would if if I gave you the the room. Um, you know, Kyle does it. TJ did it when he was here. Uh, Israel did it when he was here. They, they, they. By the time they finished, uh, you know, I was foolish. I was foolish when I started out because I thought I had to do everything. And uh, I, I've had some great pastors come through here 
that I never let speak because I was an idiot, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I didn't let my kids be exposed to, like, Chad Dingus. And I, I, I made up with that. Chad, when uh, I think it was Eli or, or Zeke, and I don't remember which one of them, Karen was having the baby here, and uh, she hadn't. She was up in the hospital, and wasn't uh, wasn't an act of labor. And I had Chad come down and speak on a Wednesday night. Oh wow, uh, so, that's awesome! So you know now Chad Patcher's White Sulphur Springs, and it's got like the biggest church and you know one, the biggest single campus church in in the state. Yeah, and, uh, and and it just does a great job, a tremendous job. And you know I was so foolish that I. I let him teach some of my Bible studies here, but I never let him teach on the Wednesday. <laughs> so, wisdom is uh, wisdom. Sometimes is just learning from your mistakes. That was a mistake. So, mm-hmm. one thing that um, I learned very early was to be comfortable in the calling right. that God had placed on you. And I realized I came to the conclusion, and I really don't even know how I came to it. It might have just been a God thing, but. You know, I came to the conclusion that I'm where God has called me to be. And no matter who steps in, no matter who's around, I'm going to stay where God has called me to be. Right. Nobody can change that. And uh, so many times I, I've seen uh, personally uh, pastors and ministers who have lost good people and they've lost, you know, uh, they've lost influence in their ministry because they're so afraid that somebody's going to come in and steal what they have, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I came to the conclusion a long time ago, nobody's going to steal what I have. Right. You know, it's given to me by God. So, I, you know, whether I'm pastoring or whether I'm just evangelizing, I'm going to continue to do that as long as God has, sees fit for me to it's, do it. It's crazy because some of the most treacherous people you'll ever meet are the are the nice old ladies sitting on your pews. <laughs> I mean, they will cut you so quick. Yes. And, yeah. I mean, that was... One of the earliest lessons I've learned in ministry is to guard yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's from people you don't, and it always is. Like you hear there's an issue, it's from the last person you expect it to be from. Mm-hmm. And um, which, which I want to use this moment to kind of transition into the next thing. Because, you know, you've talked about, you know, how things will hurt you and things like that. But, you know, there's a cost to anointing. And it's mm-hmm. crazy because there's some people who who want the power but not what it takes to get there and so there's kind of like two ways to look at the cost to anointing like i'm going to sacrifice the time um but i'm trying to think was it spurgeon that said that who god uses greatly he must first hurt deeply Mm -hmm. and so um you know that goes beyond that sacrifice of time like god's going to have to take you through a deep dark place Mm -hmm. And then, but the thing is, he's going to give you a place to minister out of. And so, um, you know, I'm... It's learning to trust him. And and uh, when we come back, we come back to that, that sanctification, because a lot of people want to walk in anointing, but they're not willing to set themselves apart. Yeah. And that's, you know, Aaron Aaron was set apart by God, and he was marked by God. That, that the, the term Messiah means anointed, okay? Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, when we're talking about it, it, it means anointed. And so when he's saying, I, I want you to be my representative, I want you to be anointed, and you can't live the way you want to live. You can't do what you want to do. You can't watch. And God may have a standard for you that's that's not you know what anybody else is dealing with, but he, God's talking to you and saying, I want you to, to be obedient to me, and I want you to do this, to set this aside. 
is there anything sinful about that that's not biblically sinful? But, you know, for me, it's wrong, okay? Mm -hmm. And so if I want to walk in my full authority, I want to walk in my full anointing, then I'm going to be obedient to God. And that's, again, I come back to that, just keep coming back to that. If you want to walk in full obedience to God, you want to walk in full anointing to God, walk in a full obedience to God. Yeah, I mean, God's smart. And, I mean, when you think of, like, as a lawyer— it's the in James he gave himself the out on all things of to know to do right and to not do it that's right. sin, and so whether it's in the Ten Commandments or it's a part of anything that Jesus said, if if the Holy Spirit has convicted you from something, um, and you don't do it, whether or, or He's convicted you from doing it and you continue to do it, then based on James, you know it's wrong to do, and then it's sin. And so it could be as much like for me in college, it was literally watching the show Family Guy. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, you know, I, I told myself, oh, they make fun of everyone. And it's like they make their, their equal opportunity or, or, you know, busting on people. Mm-hmm. And I just remember the Holy Spirit was like, no, I don't want you to watch that. Um, and so, but I had to make a choice too. Like, you know, I'm not going to watch it. But at the same time, I'm not going to give someone else a hard time because the Holy Spirit hasn't told them to quit watching. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, uh, I think... But that, that's the price of your anointing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's your... Because if you want to be anointed, again, I come back to this thing. The principle the principle is real simple. You, you, you guys probably already know this, but anything second with God is cursed. Yeah. So if, if, you're, if, if God is second behind your wife... Then you you've cursed your wife. You've yeah. cursed your relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you put your children second, if I put my grandchildren second, or if I put my grandchildren first, and if I put my wife first, anybody that's God's got to be first in everything. He's got to be first in finance. He's got to be first in everything. And so that obedience thing is where he's gonna like I'm going to be first. Uh, and like and Christians today, and this is my personal pet peeve. Okay, so this is the only time probably being on here, so I'll say it this way. <laughs> Uh, right now, we sacrifice to the God of comedy. We make fun of the Israelites, okay? We make fun of the Israelites because they, they made a golden cow. And what do we worship? If it's funny, if it makes us laugh, they can cuss, they can do anything they want. If it makes us laugh, then it's okay. Mm-hmm. And that's our God, and, it's, and that's the God of comedy. And it really scares me because sometimes I find myself laughing at stuff that I shouldn't be laughing at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I re- and this, guy, this is God talking to me as much as he is anybody else out here. So That's so true. I mean, with everything you have on social media and on TV and all that, I mean, it's easy to find something. And before you know it, you're laughing at it. And then I've had those same moments where I'm thinking, would I be laughing at this if God was sitting right here in the room with me, which he is, right. you know, Jesus is right there. But, I mean... You're right. The entertainment and what are we entertaining in our lives? You know, what are we allowing to to make us laugh and make us happy in right. our lives? And that's so. where you come back, Fish. When you said you come back to that that com- that comment where you said, you know, what's the cost? Mm-hmm. And the cost is like, dude, there's nothing more important than God in my life. And when I'm in that phrase, which fasting, you know, fasting says food second. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm saying food is second, when it's a, it's a necessity for life, and I'm saying food is second to me, and I'm fasting, you know, I'm I'm putting that, it's a priority thing with me and God, and it's me putting God above food. It's yeah. me putting God above everything. And when I do that, it, it puts you in a place of, of that anointing. And so we're kind of, at this point, really 
uh, really hitting around what it takes to keep the anointing, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's that constant sacrifice. Um, But, you know, I think we need to take it, you know, even to a deeper place of what's it going to cost to just get the anointing. Like, for me, it was... um, It's such a full-circle moment because... um, the first I remember the first time I ever stepped into anointing that I understood what I was doing. Um, it was coming back from Winterfest, um, and usually uh, when we went to Winterfest uh, and rented buses, right? Because there was like we went a few years and we just took church vans. Uh, we didn't want to call, you know, we didn't want to eat the cost of buses, um, but at the end. Uh, on the way home at a certain point, someone would get up, have a guitar, and we would worship. And there were some, just some of the most amazing uh, moments in the Holy Spirit were on a bus, just kind of like what we experienced coming back where uh, the students would get up and share testimonies. And I remember that um, they were playing worship and people were still sleeping, uh, listening to music. And I mean, this wasn't like MP3. This was like, you know, the Walkman right, CD players. Right. And everybody was their own direction. And I remember, like, it was like a fire lit inside of me. And it was this rage that, like, I'm ready to see God move. Mm-hmm. And so I asked to, like, get get on the speaker. And, I mean, I poured my heart out of, like, you know, we have to make this conscious <laughs> choice now to say that I know I'm tired, I know that it's been a long weekend, but I want to take these last few moments and just sit with him. And I mean, and I said a lot more, and it, and and I could, I watched the, I watched the Holy Spirit begin to move on the bus, but I didn't understand what was going on. And when I was done, I fell into Ryan Parks's like arms, game, and I was like, I don't know what's going on. I'm so scared, like. And he was, like, in his early 20s but had enough wisdom to say, that's God's anointing. Now you need to go walk in it and go pray for people. And just that was the first time. But I, at that point, I knew that the cost for me to just step into that anointing was I had to be willing to challenge people mm-hmm. to not stay where they are and to not be stagnant. And then as a sixth grader who first did that, it turned into... I stood outside of our church and shared the gospel with people who were coming to church. You know, Jesus loves you. He and it's like, but I didn't understand. Like they know that that's why they're here. Right. <laughs> uh, but but I was just so passionate about um, Jesus, His sacrifice, uh, salvation, uh, getting into His presence and sitting with Him. That um, that's what fueled this drive and ultimately the call to the ministry. And so, well, that I mean, is that. Does that is, do you think that's what it looks like for everyone? I, I do. At some at some level, it may manifest a different way. But your thing is, I, I come back. It's Isaiah sixty one, and we, you know, in Second Corinthians two, you know, Second Corinthians one twenty one, where we're operating in His anointing. Well, His anointing is to declare the acceptable year of the Lord, and that's what you were doing. Mm-hmm. And so now, when you would when you do that, when you're flowing. In obedience to him, when he's, you know, again, you can get up and do it anywhere at any time, but at the, t- at the same time, if you're doing it in obedience to him and you're doing it at B-dubs, somebody's going to get saved. If you're doing it at 
you know, in, in your church service or on the bus or wherever, people are going to be released from bondage and their, their eyes are going to be open. They may not get saved at that moment, but their eyes are open. And so they rest, their sights are restored. And if, if you, I, I just believe you can't look at Jesus. You can't, you can't gaze on Jesus. If you're blinded to Jesus, yeah, you may not accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but I'm telling you, if you see Jesus in his glory, you're, you're going to accept him as the Lord and Savior because that's who he is. Hmm. I mean, and you, so you're no, no longer you're blind to what he is and who he is. You know, you, you got the, the thing where <clears throat> existential Jesus, you know, where people are trying to do whatever. But the reality is once you realize who he is and what he did and, and what he's about, and once you realize that, then you're going to get saved. I mean, people are going to be set free. Yeah, I, was, uh, I started reading uh, John Bevere's Killing Kryptonite today. Mm -hmm. And in the early opening of the book, he talks about people who have been hurt by the church or, you know, they say they're hurt by Jesus. It's, you know, you, you, you've been hurt by everything that Jesus isn't. Right. And so that statement really stood out to me. And I was like, man, that's... That's a great book. When yeah. people say that, it's like, no human failure has hurt you that's because right. Jesus can't do it. Someone who loved you that much that they gave their life for you, they're not going to hurt you. Um, and But I love that he even took it another step and he talked about, you know, and I think this again gets into the cost of anointing and we talked about the boldness of the Holy Spirit is he makes that statement, um, God, Jesus will call us to challenge the people of God and when we don't do that, then forever i thought that you know when when the message is watered down or you know you hear you hear people talk <coughs> about pastors who just don't you know they're not sharing the true gospel which you know doesn't allow for people to continue in sin mm -hmm. after they've met with jesus and so the discipleship the sanctification process that it keeps moving and he says when pastors don't do that it's and i never thought of it as a selfish thing but it's a very selfish thing because they're scared of what people think about them. That's right. And what they're ultimately what you're doing is you're changing how people think about Jesus. And it's like I don't know why. I just I thought that they were scared. Or, but it's like man, it's a selfish thing. And 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 uh, it's really you know, I think you you made a quote to me this week, and it's like I can't stand laziness. Right. <laughs> I think I'm the same way with like selfishness. And then to to put it in that light, it's like you know, it can't be tolerated. Right. Because, um, you know, it's really started to grieve me when, when the gospel's weakened. Because it's so, you know, I've been, I'm in a men's Bible study where we're going through the book of Romans. And the chapter one just starts out with uh, Paul's love for the purity of the gospel. And that's, you know, and when I think, when we think about gospels, we think about, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but, you know, he's talking about the story of Jesus and what that, in the Great Commission, and so. Hey, Sherman, you, you talked about, when you talk about holy boldness, and it comes on you, and you say stuff, and then later, people make fun of you for saying stuff, mm -hmm. and they'll make fun of stuff that you say in that moment. People are set free, delivered, and healed, so then you have to, like, okay, and there are times in our exuberance we say silly things, and I, mm -hmm. I don't I don't denigrate that. But what what happens a lot of times is in that moment I said something that I felt like God wanted me to say at that moment, and it makes me look foolish. Yeah. But Jesus is glorified because of it. Mm -hmm. Well, then, I'm sorry you didn't like that. Too bad. 
okay? And that's where we have to we have to get that place in our life where I'm pleasing Jesus, mm-hmm. okay? And I'm not pleasing man because that that thing where we start trying to please men is where it waters the gospel down, which mm-hmm. is what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because our deal is we, we start trying to please you and please you, and it's impossible to do that. What I have to do is please the one who made me, okay? And once I do that, then that's going to draw you to, to correction. It's going to draw you to submission. It's going to draw you to, to uh, you know, to, your eyes are open and you're set free, okay? So that's where, that's what, we're, it's that obedience. And I keep coming back to that word, but it's for us, it's, that's where, that's how we get there. That's how we stay there. It's how we, that's how we walk in it. It's that obedience to God. Yeah. Well, and that should be uh, one of the things that, is paramount in a Christian's life, whether you've been saved three months or you've been saved, you know, 60-some years, like your entire life, because uh, obedience <laughs> is... Uh, is We talk about obedience as I'm scared of God and He's going to punish me, but I'm obedient because I love Him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't... I don't I'm scared... Like, they say, well, I'm scared He's going to hurt me. My obedience is I don't want to hurt Him. Right. I don't want to grieve his heart. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's kind of like, and, and I think that's a really good transition point of um, what do we do when we, when we talk about seeing, you know, we talked about this earlier, seeing people who aren't in the anointing. Well, the one thing God is, is, is he's, he's faithful and just, and he says he's faithful and just to complete the work that he's begun in us. And so uh, the Israelites... You know, they, they went to the desert. They went to the desert to get Egypt out of them, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, they left Egypt. They left Egypt in a day. But the deal is it took them 40 years to get Egypt out of their, the influence of Egypt out of their mind. And so for us, God will continue to test us, and he will continue to give us that test over and over and over. And, he's, and, and what he's so good about is, you know, like in school, you, you fail the test, you get an F, and that's the end. And you may retake the test. You may retake the course later. With God, you fail the test. God will set you back up, give you time time to get get yourself situated. Get, you know, work with you. Uh, be kind. He'll he'll be loving. He'll be gentle. Uh, he'll be correcting. He'll do the work in in your life, and then he'll bring you back to that test again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he'll just bring you back to that. T- and he'll keep doing it till you get the test right. And like. That's my thing is I'm not the quickest uh, thing in the world, but, you know, sometimes when I take a test three times, I get pretty good at it, okay? (laughs) 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 The sad part is there's been times that, you know, I look back and I'm like, I've been fighting the same thing for years, you know, and all I had to do was pass that, you know, and uh, it's a little disheartening, but at the same time, you see the grace of God in that, you know, and he, he wants to take us to a higher level. And, uh, like you said, the cost of, of the anointing to get, we want to go to those higher places. We want to get to those deeper places, but at the same time, what are we willing to give up? And, uh, you know, that when I first started out, uh, you know, we touched on this of how you wanted to, or I wanted to please somebody else. you know right. i looked at how my pastor done it how other people done it and like oh that's how i gotta do it you know i listened to people like jakes and uh you know Stephen furtick and all that and i'm like this is how i gotta do it and the lord showed me real quick i, I can't do what they do i can't that's not going to be pleasing 
you know, to him. And I had to figure out where, where has God called me to be? You know, yeah. like the saying is stay in your lane. You I, know well, what I, lane? I need to hear your wisdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I don't need to hear Stephen. If I need Stephen Furtick, I'll go to Elevation yeah, Church. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I go to Rob Parsley. But you know, when I'm, when I'm hearing you preach mm-hmm. or fish, when I'm hearing you preach, I need to hear what God's gave you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because he's gave you something that I need. And mm-hmm. I believe that with all my yeah. heart. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And I realized when I realized that it, people started receiving more, mm-hmm. you know, and people started getting more and, you know, it kind of blew me away because, you know, you think of all these other people and you're like, it's working for them. That's what I got to do. So you do it and you're like, Oh, nobody called on to that. Yeah. You know, they're not getting it. And, uh, but when I started taking off all that pressure and just started seeking after God, and seeking after what God had for me, then people started receiving from God. Right. And it was pretty awesome to see that, that, you know, I was working in what God had called me to be. And it's very important that we, that we get to that, to that point. So, yeah, I mean, it's really like the point you made is God, he created you to do that thing. Mm -hmm. He didn't create you to be, you know, almost like in a Halloween mask trying to do that thing, which is what we look like when, when we try to be a, a copy and paste of mm-hmm. another guy. But, you know, God's only called you to give that word at that moment or to do that thing or to pray for that person. Now, I fully believe that uh, if if you continue to say no for the sake of his will and his purpose, it's going to move to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but... That's Esther, the book of Esther. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, if, if not, the salvation of the Jews is up up to you. But yeah. if not you, he'll raise somebody yeah. else up. Yeah. That's yeah. And and that's, so that's truth. And reading the Bible, I, I had this last time I did the, the Bible in 90 days. Mm-hmm. I just had this huge epiphany reading the book of Esther because it's like you would think that it's about Esther. It's about Mordecai. Right. And it's like the meekness of Mordecai is... It just astounds me. Mm-hmm. Read every now that I, now that I look at that story or or I'll hear something. It's like, you know, Esther was like she had the major role to play, but that book is about Mordecai. Yeah, and just sitting at the gate, mm-hmm. sitting at the gate, and watching after his niece. It's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I and, love that and story. he never elevated his own position, but look where the Lord took him just from a life of prayer. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I mean that's probably another thing that's a cost of anointing is. You got to be on your face. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to take kind of kind of what we talked about on the podcast uh, the first of the year of what we want to do. Talking about, I want to be current with him. Mm-hmm. Um, how can I? How can I understand and execute the will of a person I never talked to? Yep. You know, that's yep. another one of those costs of the anointing is because uh, that's kind of like my next kind of thing is. Um, you know, the Bible always refers, it's funny, because you talked about how preachers will make fun of each other. Right. And one of the only things that's ever called foolish is preaching. Mm. <laughs> and so it's like, okay. So it's like we're making fun of each other, but we're all just a bunch of fools. Right. Um, but I feel like one of the most dangerous people, either or, for or against, is a talented pastor. I because agree. I have... I have uh, talents that uh, are my downfall in ministry because I will rely on my talents before I'll rely on God. Right. Mm-hmm. And to connect it to a statement you've made earlier, if I put my talents before God, I've cursed my talents. That's right. 
and then therefore they become a curse to me. And so that's why, um, you know, because I'm comfortable speaking in front of people, I'll put off to the last minute getting prepared for a sermon like, you know, apparently it's not a big deal to me when really, you know, it needs to be my main focus of putting all the time and preparation that God's called me to. So, um, <coughs> you know, what do you guys, you guys have anything to say to that point of talented pastors? Oh, I, I agree with, wholeheartedly with that because that, that's the thing that where your talent is is what that's where you're strong that's where he's weak mm-hmm. and again if you're wanting to walk in anointing you're wanting to walk where you're weak and he's strong okay and that doesn't mean you know you're doing your best I, i've said this for years uh and when i started I mean, again when i started in youth ministry i didn't allow any i didn't share my pulpit and you're, you know you see what i've become now when i share my pulpit wide open um and all my people that work with me, they know if they got a word from God, I'll put them in. Okay, I don't want a sermon. I want a word from God. Mm-hmm. I want I want to know that you've heard from God and this is a, an anointed word from God. And so that's what we're talking about. You know, we're trying to operate in that. Uh, and we try to operate in that sphere. And so uh, there are times where I'm like, I don't really have anything that night, and somebody will come up and say, "I've got a word from God for," and I'm like. You know, can you work me in the next couple of weeks? I said, you ready to go tonight? You know, because I, I believe that that's what God's gave. Because, you know, I, I operate from a word from God, and that's what I do. You know, so okay. Well, how? Let me ask you some questions on the practical side of things for that, because, you know, especially when it comes to um, ministry itself, you know, at the end of the day, it's better to go long than it is to go short, mm-hmm. because. Um, if your if your kids or whoever's in your ministry, if they don't bring themselves, you know, and you've got them, just you know, it's going to be a free for all if you go ten minutes. And so, uh, for a young person that comes up and says that to you, um, like I was one of those kids that felt like I had a word from the Lord, and then I'd get up and it'd be three minutes, and I was done talking. How do you get them to the place where? Maybe they understand that, you know, I have to fully execute this and not just say, you know, well, I've got this word from the Lord. Jesus loves all of us, and we should stop looking at bad stuff on the Internet. Right. Boom. That's it. And then, but at the same time, you've you've got those... I like to call them Pharaoh speakers because they won't let God's people go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've been called that before. <laughs> so practically speaking, you know, is that a, can you do something beforehand to prepare that person to, you know, hey, you're going to get up, you're going to speak, you know? Yeah. I, primarily when, when I'm dealing with a young person uh, that hasn't spoke before, um, you know, the more, the more I do not know what they're capable of, then I'm going to put them in a better position. So um, if, I, if I've got like a young person that's, that's green and I know they, they're pretty green, then what we'll do is we'll put them in a devotion slot and we'll have a devotion slot in my sermon and let them give a word from God in that devotion or in a prayer slot. In our prayer slot, you know, we exhort in that from that in, in my service. We from our prayer slot, we exhort, we exhort and, and then pray. 
because we're we're so street in our ministry sermon that we got kids that don't know anything about it. So what we're doing is we're we're teaching them about what prayer is, mm-hmm. and then so we're we have an exhortation there, and then then we pray and uh, over our service, um, and so we'll we'll allow people to do that from that aspect, um, you know. And so once I get to where I can trust them, uh, and like I said, if you came to me tomorrow night and said I, I've got a word. I would just step aside and just put you in the sermon because I know that I can trust you. Kyle, you know, TJ, uh, Israel, uh, Jeff Mink, I mean, those guys that are in my ministry that I, I know who they are, and they come and they say, I got a word. I'll just get out of the way and let them have mm-hmm. the sermon. Um, if Austin Mink would come to me and say, I've got a word, I'm going to put him in this place because I want him to succeed. Mm-hmm. I want mm-hmm. him to feel good about what he's done after he's finished, okay, and where he gets up and, and d- does the sermon. He does a three-minute sermon, and somebody's going to make fun of him, and I don't yeah. want him to do that. So I put him in a place that makes him succeed. That's Enable people to do the works of ministry. Right. Which, to Sherman, to interject a great story that really drives home the street ministry of it, um, Rod will always do on the way home they'll do uh, communion together. Mm-hmm. It's a very powerful, intimate moment. Um, it's at a rest stop, uh, what, first one in Kentucky, first right? First one in Kentucky. And so, I mean, it's a great kind of uh, another one of these. We're sealing up what God did this weekend at Winterfest. And um, some like I'd never heard of this before because I'd never run into anyone in, the, in Princeton or southern West Virginia that had never heard of communion. But they had a kid this weekend who was like, what's communion? Oh, wow. And so, and, and the funny part of it was, during communion, Rod says, <laughs> you can take the wine. And, and talking about, you know, the grape mm-hmm. juice. He's like, the wine. I was like, that kid's probably freaking out right now. <laughs> 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 Got us drinking alcohol here. Oh, I could not wait to be like, Rod, I'm not making fun of how you did communion. I just want to know. What do you think about this? <laughs> I didn't think about it. <laughs> it's good. God doesn't let me think about all this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The, the kid just got saved this weekend, so it's really good. So this is his first communion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's so awesome. It was awesome thing for him to participate in. So yeah, it was. And it was. It, it's just. It's another one of those. I'd never experienced true street ministry like I mm-hmm. like I had there, and that's just another one of those moments. And I think one of the quotes about the ministry here at this church is, "If you can preach to those crowds, you can preach anywhere." That's right. Yeah, well, Matt Matt Hutchinson came up with that when he was doing praise and worship because he'd take Huntington the band out and we'd do worship places, and it would be so easy. And it's like it's because it's all church kids, and so they're mm-hmm. like, "Man, this is awesome!" It's like our kids, you know, the street kids. So they. A lot of them come in. They they don't know what it means to worship God. They, they worship God. What what are you talking about? This band's up there playing, and we're talking while that's going on. And mm-hmm. so, and so we have to teach them what it means to worship, and and so that's part of our process. And then we're always bringing somebody. There's always a new kid in in the service who doesn't know, or some kid that needs to be reminded about what we're doing. And so we're always we're always reiterating that point. So Matt always said. If you can sing here, you can sing anywhere. <laughs> you know, I'd like to take this moment to transition and start to wrap this up. But um, we had a we had a conversation about Russell Evans yeah. this weekend, and um, you know, you said that you 
uh, you could tell by looking at him that he was one of these guys that could tell exactly when God was going to move. And uh, and we had a conversation about what that looks like. Um, is that... What is that? Is that like I'm trying to figure out how to actually say is like is this like is there like a graduation level of anointing where should I aspire to be that or just uh, you know the statement that always comes back to me is what Ryan Park said to me when I was struggling with what to do next in a calling in college and he said it's really easy go back and do the last thing God told you to do mm-hmm. until He tells you to do something else. Yeah. Because it was like I gotta figure out what I'm gonna do. What's the last thing he told you to do? This. Go do that until you know you've heard something else. So how do I do that but aspire to be one of these guys that understands enough to say, I want to see the Holy Spirit fall. Boosh. I mean, is is it like our I don't I, you know, I don't know. I don't know because but I know there are guys like that and um, there are times there are times that I can feel it like that where I'm like I, I know I've got this word that I'm going to give. Uh, mm-hmm. I give you an example. I was in Alabama and I was preaching at camp, and um, they gave me the they gave me the mic for me to preach because it had been worship had gone for quite a little extensive time, and uh, I felt like we were operating in an open heaven at that moment, and I, I and meaning you know meaning that. God was just doing stuff right then like crazy. And I said, it's good. I know I have a word from God for this moment, but I don't feel like this is the moment for me to give that word from God. And I feel like this is when we're going to, we're going to worship a little longer and we worship. I mean, we're at camp. What are you going to do? I mean, they're going to, you know, go do fun time later or something. I don't know. So, so it didn't matter. So I, they they worshiped for like another twenty five minutes, and then I took the thing and I and I preached. And when I when I got finished, I said, you know, now come. And the place they they ran at the altar. They ran to the altar, and I've seen that over and over. And that that's that same kind of thing where he said he preached and he said his he, he really was you know sharing a testimony at Winterfest sermon. You were there or got to hear it, mm-hmm. but he was sharing this testimony. And then he just said, and now Holy Spirit come, and the place went crazy, okay? And it was wow. just like, it was like he had a mission from God that he had to do, and then now, now God will move. And, mm-hmm. and so because of his obedience. And that's, I've seen that happen, you know, we've seen Tommy Bates do that, you know, at, in a Winterfest circumstance. I've seen other guys do it. You know, they're, they're preaching, and seemingly they're preaching something incongruous with the Holy Spirit. And then they'll say, okay, Holy Spirit, and the place just explodes, you know, and it's because he's being obedient to what God called him to do at that moment. And so there's something about that obedience. And and uh, Russell Evans, he had been in this place where, uh, you know, he founded Planet Shakers. Uh, he, you know, he was the national evangelist in, in Australia. Uh, and so this guy's been around, and, and he's, got a, he's got a severe anointing of God in his life. And so... Um, you know, just just walks in that anointing and great thing. I, I want to go back where you were talking about Ryan Parks. Telling that Ryan's got such wisdom, and uh, he's just one of the one of the wisest guys that I've ever been around. Uh, you know, for his age, I mean, I learn from him all the time. But Ryan's one of these guys that um, to be a I, I consider myself a product of his ministry. Right. Um, and there's a, probably a lot of guys at Princeton that can claim me as a product of their ministry. Um, 
But Ryan's one of these guys that drove home the cost of the anointing. Mm-hmm. Um, and not in terms of the sacrifice or like the time thing, but literally uh, the level of hurt one has to go through for God. Like to use the quote, God uses one greatly, he has to hurt him deeply. And it was, um, you know, we hadn't opened the first Lifeline campus. And uh, and Ryan was just student pastor, 129 Ministries, uh, student ministries. And uh, his son, Eli, is diagnosed with that craniosynostosis. Mm-hmm. And Ryan, you know, through tears and, and just trusting God. And, I mean, just... Uh, a, <coughs> just a strong tower of, and he would he would say that there's no way he felt like that. But um, I will say that I've heard a lot of sermons in my life. But we were at our high school retreat, and Eli had a food allergy that they didn't know about yet. And hearing about your grandkids, you know, mm-hmm. you understand this more than most. Right. But just had I think it was a peanut allergy, and they didn't know it, so. Eli's taken to the ER. Well, he's got 60-some high school students that, you know, they're here for a, 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 a retreat. And so he has to go and take care of this and get this moment handled. And so in the midst of not knowing what's going on with uh, his, you know, he's got three boys now, but this is his oldest, and not, the other two aren't here yet. He preaches a sermon on the goodness of God. And I don't know if it was just because I understood the present circumstances, but that was the most amazing sermon I've ever heard in my life mm-hmm. because, you know, that's got to be the scariest thing ever, and then you're going to preach about how good God is. Right. And so, but then, uh, you know, we walk through, which I say we because, I mean, like I said, Ryan's, you know, I consider him a best friend, um, and they go through that, and Eli gets healed, and it was just like out of that moment is when the church just exploded. And it was because Ryan was ministering out of that season. And so it's just, you know, that's that cost thing. Now, do you believe that someone goes through that, given different circumstances, do they not pay the price for the anointing and it doesn't happen that way? Or no matter what, if you go through that, you get that anointing. I think uh, I think the anointing is from God, and the, and God anoints us for different purposes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so what you saw, I, what I feel like is that, that what Ryan went through was this thing where where he was where he was weak, God was strong, and that's that's just scripture. And so he learned to funnel. Uh, this is my weakness. This is a place that I'm weak. I, I can't. I I have. I don't have the answer. I don't have the. But I know that this is the truth. Okay, and so when I walk in that truth that this is what's the ultimate truth here is this is what God's about. Okay, and so now I'm funneling my weakness to his strength and that's when he's released. I mean, he's set out of the cage because now now it's a place where he's going to be strong in my weakness. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, Chairman, let's wrap this thing up. Your final word on anointing. Go for it. I think um, for me. To get to a place of deep anointing, not only going through your stuff, but having uh, intimacy with God, you know, and that's mm-hmm. one thing that the enemy is always, always fighting on my end. And it's real easy for me if I'm not careful to go through a week and get to the end of the week and be like, gosh, I haven't even spent 
you know, as much time as I needed to with the Lord. Um, you know, I always have to strive, it seems like, to get in the Word. And I believe that's just something that the enemy is trying to take because he sees that the more that I spend in the presence of God and in the Word, you know, that anointing, it grows deeper and deeper. Right. And um, I think as as Christians and as ministers, we need to be uh, find ourselves more and more into his uh in, in his presence because we're when we're in his presence then we do get that boldness mm-hmm. you know and and uh when we're in his presence then we realize where our anointing comes from and where god is going to use us and how he uh you know brings us out so and we get that boldness you know jesus the reason that he was uh able to do what he he done is because he stayed in the presence of god you know and he knew he knew what his father wanted because he had that intimate relationship and uh, I think that it comes to uh, when we do what God wants us to do, it's because we have that intimate relationship, and He's become a father to us. Yeah, you know? it's really good. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, and we talk about wanting to please people. There's nobody on our growing up, you know, who I wanted to please most was my father. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, when I become intimate with God in that sense, who do I want to please most? It's it's God, you know, because He's my father. So I think it's very important. I have to remind myself daily, daily to stay in his presence and be in that intimate place. And I realize if I do go a week without really being in his presence, I can see that I'm not as bold. I'm not as authoritative. I'm not as, you know, walking in the spirit as I should. So it's very important to to stay in that intimacy with God. That's good. Absolutely. And and that's the way that I feel. Um, I want to be obsessed with his heart. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when we're like that, the anointing's a byproduct of that. It yeah. flows out of out of his heart because when I have his heart, then I understand his will. When I operate in his will, I walk in his anointing. And just like said like Rod said that the anointing breaks the yoke of bondage because mm-hmm. his heart is to see people the lost come to know him, to see his people healed, to see and I mean the greatest miracle we can ever see is a lost soul come to know mm-hmm. Christ. And I think a quote that I'll really use to drive it home, uh, Rod, tell me if you know it. If we think like he thought and talk like he talked, then we'll see what he saw. That's right. Who said that? My, me. <laughs> me, Rod Justice. <laughs> he said that to me, and it went right in my phone. I'm like, man, I love that That's quote. That's good. I like that. Because one of, the, um, one of the scriptures that always, always meant the most that I that I feel like the church has never actually truly embraced is when Jesus said, and you'll do even greater mm. than this. And he, yeah. I mean, and, and he did some amazing things, but he said, when I leave, you'll do all of this and even greater things. Right. And so I want to live out. If I think like he th- thought, if I talk like he talked, then I'll see what he saw. Well, how do I do that? I spend time with him, mm-hmm. you know, um, that, just, that's that, and then that concept that, I, that I've laid out, and you, you've heard me talk about this a lot, which is word worship and war, mm-hmm. right? which is, and he teaches us to pray, and he says, um, "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven." And and so I, that what struck me was, okay, how's it work in heaven? Yeah. There's three archangels, three archangels. One of them is prayer, one of them brings the word, and 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 one of them's all about worship. And so my life, to build intimacy, I need to worship, I need to pray, and I need to read. Mm-hmm. And so when I do two of the three, I'm not as intimate with him as I can be. 
-hmm. because I'm not reflecting heaven on earth. But when I do all three, when I started doing all three every day consistently, when I worship, you know, and I, I do word and I worship and I do war uh, in prayer, when I do those three, I've moved to a place of, of greater intimacy. And I, you, you're just going to be there. And that's what it is. And so what happens is ministry, you get busy and you do word and you do, and you do prayer because that's something that you do. But a lot of times we neglect worship. So. Mm. That's good. good. Yeah, so... So the the anointing for me is just, it's what naturally comes out of being current with him, mm -hmm. a current relationship with him. That's it, perfect. That's and, perfect. And so, so, Rod, we'll give it to you. Oh, man. Guys, I'm just honored that you're I'm honored to be here. I thank you for having me. Cody, I miss you. Uh, guys, this was a lot of fun. And, let's, uh, let's do this again. And it needs to be stated that Rod's mic is falling off yeah, the jacked. table. My mic's jacked up. So, um, <laughs> and I've been holding it for the last thirty minutes. But <laughs> <laughs> he's a trooper. He's a trooper. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to have Rod on again. That way, yes. we'll 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 I'll figure out a way or a, a workaround on these tables because this was the second table we tried out. So, um, but yeah, I know that uh, you know it's gonna be hard to go third, but I feel like. You know, from your experience, you know, give us what the anointing means to you, Rod. The anointing means everything, because what I, when I got saved, and a sermon you may not know this, I know Fish does, but uh, you know, for my years, I, I walked, I walked in disobedience to God for so long, and what I want to see people is set free, set, and I want to see people healed, and I want to see them delivered, and I want to see people have a passion for God because once I realized what I what the enemy had fooled me with all these years once I came to that thing I gave myself wholeheartedly to a passion of God and I've got a passion of people see people saved and and that's what the anointing does mm -hmm. the anointing releases the captives and that's what I'm that's what I live for that's what I, I exist for and if I ever get to the point where I'm not passionate about souls I need God to just go ahead and take me home mm -hmm. okay yeah um, because I'm I'm passionate about people being saved, set free, and delivered and healed. That's what I'm passionate about, and that's what the anointing does. I'm just seeing it too many times, you know. And you operate in that place. You're talking about operating that, and I've been places where I'm preaching, and I don't know anybody there. And God, will have me speak to a person, and I say, I don't care if they told you you had cancer on Tuesday. God's telling you today that you can be healed. And the guy starts crying and weeping, and you're like, "What's going on?" And on Tuesday, they told him he had cancer. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's you know not operating. And I know that's a word of knowledge or whatever, but I really didn't feel like I had a word of knowledge. I just felt like I was just speaking the word, and God had me lock eyes with this gentleman. And that's walking in that anointing. Okay, yeah. walking in that obedience right there. That's awesome. And then another classic Rod quote for for that moment is when he's. When it, and there's a boldness that I think for the Holy Spirit right. that when Rod's doing like a hospital visit or whatever and someone discloses it to him, this is what I've been diagnosed with, he'll be like, good, now you know what God's going to heal you from. I think that's the, that's the exact that's thing right. you say, right? And so, I mean, recently you told the story of being in the room with two other pastors and he said that and they were like, oh, and like slid away from him. <laughs> like, they distanced <laughs> themselves from him. Yeah. It's like, dude, they were like, 
Oh, dude, that guy's cr- crazy. <laughs> yeah, they were apparently they were in there preparing the family, like, all right, you know, you probably want to go through this funeral home, and like, <laughs> like, wow, they just got this. Like, they're preparing the family for death, and Rod's like, no, we're gonna see God heal this person, and and God healed the person. Wow, that okay. is awesome. And I'm like, um, and I, I talk about five years, five years later when the guy's cancer free for five years, and that's that's the, he had just got cancer diagnosed. Five years later, uh, they had a five, they had a party you know because of that and i'm sitting at this party and the guy's dad came up to me and he's a big tough burly dude you know and i've never seen the guy even you know have any emotion except whatever and uh he comes up and he just got he starts crying on my shoulder and he's way bigger than i am and i'm not a little dude you know this guy's bigger than me he's crying on me and he goes when you spoke that word i felt that everything was going to be all right and that's what the anointing brings Mm. is peace Mm -hmm. in the midst of the storm so true that's good so well with that it's time to wrap up this month's episode of the native souls so rod we really we didn't intend on it but we hit a lot of baseball stuff yeah um there is what give me an obscure baseball fact um the one that i'm thinking about is the contract one that you told me one of the first baseball stories you told me, uh, the gentleman had negotiated his contract to get paid for so long, and then something happened. And, like, what team? Do you remember? Do you know what I'm talking about here? No, I don't remember that. Oh, boy. Here we are. We're in trouble now. Um, he had had his contract where he got paid so much every year up until a certain amount of time. Oh, and either he retired or got hurt and was out of the game. And he's been out for years. And, and he's still, still getting Bobby Benin. Okay. Now, still getting a million dollars a year. Have you heard this story before? No, All right. No. Tell Sherman this. Because this is one he, of the crazy contract stories. He renegotiated his contract. And uh, they gave him this deal. And so they, they instead of front-loading his contract, they back-loaded his contract. So they basically they gave him a contract for 20 years. He'd been out of baseball for about 20 years. And he was still making a million dollars a year for 20 years after that was over. To basically save them some money. It was crazy. Bobby Benilla, so it's a neat story. That was one of the coolest, because I was like, man, that's that, that's one of the better retirements or severance packages, whatever you want to call it, that you can get <laughs> yeah, in he, the world. He's not in the game, not, not been playing, and still on the payroll. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. That's the best way to do it. Yes, so, for sure. <laughs> uh, well, with that, um, you know, we always like to close in prayer. And so, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to say it. Rod, pray over us as we close this thing out. God, you see the people that are listening to this tonight and the three of us as we're sitting here. And God, we just lift Cody up before you. We ask you to do a work in his life, bring healing to his body right now. God, you see the people that are listening to this. And God, we ask you that your anointing power goes through this microphone and through the airways, Father God, and touches people, sets people free, delivers them and heals them. God, let, let Jesus Christ be made known because of what we've done here. Let Jesus Christ be made known in all his glory. Let people be released of captivity. The people that listen to this, let them desire for an anointing of God that sets captives free. Let people be set free, delivered, and healed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Rod, thanks for coming. Sherman, always good to see you. Yes. Native Souls family, we'll see you next month.